All right, fact checkers, it is a brand new year, but we've got the same great coffee sponsor. So if you head over to Fox and Sons Coffee and use the promo code FCT for fact check this, you get 15% off any order of $25 or more. Also, be sure to check out the new blends that Steve's got over there. We've got the Den Blend 2 Electric Boogaloo. This is a medium roast coffee. If the dark roast was a little too robust for you, but the light was not quite getting what you needed, check out the medium roast. It is fantastic. And also, they've got a brand new one. It's the Costa Rica Honey Prep. Now, this is the same great coffee, but with a little bit of a floral aroma. You're going to really want to check this one out. So head over to Fox and Sons Coffee and use the promo code FCT at checkout to get that 15% off any order over $25. Let's get started. This episode will be completely taken out of context. Welcome to the Fact Check This Podcast. All right, Fact Check This Podcast. And today, I'm proving that I do actually take requests from listeners. A good friend of mine, Sammy, that I used to work with uh, back several years ago when I was living in the brutal north around uh, slightly north of Philadelphia uh, has been listening to the show and giving me some feedback. And so I, I asked, you know, is there anything you would like for me to talk about? And and I want to make sure that I get the wording of this right, because it's the wording is very important. Uh, as as with most of the stuff that I try to cover, I, I like good context. Um, if you read my my substack, I can talk about religious stuff and and scripture and misinterpretation of scripture because context is removed from it. And uh, so I want to make sure that I get this correct because this is like, like I said, uh, I noticed with kids these days in some areas, it's cool to have a mental illness or be trans. Uh, if you have nothing mentally wrong with you, you aren't interesting or cool. And I just don't understand it. Uh, I've seen that same thing with things that I've heard from my kids about kids in their own school. Uh, they they refer to them as the fake trans and and they make fun of them and laugh at them. And it's it's a joke to my kids. But for some of these kids, it's like a legit thing. They've got a uh, they've got a furry at their school, like a kid who. Says she's a cat and does dumb shit and like, but it's a like it's a shtick. She doesn't actually believe that she's a cat she's using it for dumbass attention and <clears throat> and apparently she like throws cat food at, at other kids and stuff like you know cats don't behave that way it's a it's a cry for help really is what it is and and it is a mental illness and that's that's a very important part of this is it should be treated as such but also, not only that, it's a symptom of parents accepting it and allowing it and permitting it and encouraging it. Uh, that, was, that was another thing that she had, had mentioned. They said there's so many kids out here that dress as the other sex, and they're like 10 and under. And their parents usually look about the same mindset and appearance. Like It's, it's, it's a mental illness across the board. And it's a lack of discipline. It's a lack of structure. It's a lack of um, objective morality. 
So I'm going to get into a couple articles, and it's going to take a little bit to go through both of them, but I think they're both equally important to the topic. So let's start with this first one, uh, because it kind of highlights the lack of accountability that parents have, uh, that some parents have uh, accepted for this. I thought my four-year-old was transgender. I was wrong. I'm not surprised. Uh, so this is from the BFD. It's a, like a blog, but it's pretty good stuff. So I was a true believer. I was a social justice organizer and facilitator before social justice overtook the world. I was on the forefront, introducing the concept of intersectionality to progressive organizations and having people share their pronouns. My friends and I felt we were the cool kids, the vanguard of revolutionary work to change the world, to achieve what people in the social justice movement called collective liberation. I was deeply committed to the work of creating another world that was possible. Within this context, I came out as a lesbian and identified as queer. And then I fell in love, entered a committed relationship with my spouse, and gave birth to our first son. Two years later, my partner gave birth to our second son. Having children and experiencing the absolutely life-changing love and devotion to them was a game-changer for me. And it was when, to quote Helen Joyce's subtitle, ideology became, it began to meet reality. I immediately began to feel the tensions inside of me between what I felt intuitively and instinctively as a mother and what I should be doing as a white, anti-racist, social justice parent. Because of my own experiences of perceived victimhood within, with my own parents' rejection of my sexuality, I wanted to make sure I would honor my children's authentic selves. I was primed to look for any clues that might suggest they could be transgender. So here's the thing. Is she, she said she got, she got to the key part of it uh, here pretty quick. She was primed to look for something like that. See, a normal adult, a normal human being, a normal parent, if, you know, your boy likes to play with Barbie dolls, you just think, okay, that's like what's available. You don't get too worked up over it. Or, you know, if a kid likes pink, you know, a kid likes pink. Um, the boy is in the other room, even though I told him stay the fuck out of this house because I have to record an episode today. Uh, he has a favorite pink hoodie and i make fun of him for it all the time but he likes it and it's not a not a bad color on him we raised both our sons as gender neutral as possible with gender neutral clothes toys and language and see there's another problem like this all this gender neutral bullshit boys are boys and girls are girls and treated as such you don't have to be you you shouldn't go out of your way to be gender neutral it's a it's a fucking brain bug anyway while we did use him, her, pro, or he, him pronouns and others in their life call them boys, we did not call them boys or even tell them they were boys. I don't know. We made all language gender neutral. In everyday reading of books or descriptions of people in our lives, we did not say man or woman. We said people. We thought we were doing the right and best thing for both of them and for the world. At an early age, we noticed that our son, first son, was a bit different. He was highly sensitive and was extremely gifted. By about three years old, he started to orient more toward the females in his life than the males. Since he did not have the language, he would say, I like the mamas. Some of this difference we started to attribute to possibly being transgender. I don't know why in 
any sane human being's brain that would immediately go to this kid as transgender. But whatever. Instead of orienting him, and and the fact that he didn't have the language, he didn't have the language because you are not actually raising this kid like a normal human being. Calm down. Instead of orienting him, orienting him to the reality of his biological sex by telling him he was a boy, we wanted him to tell us if he felt he was a boy or a girl. But see, the thing is, you're not using these terms. You're not actually creating an environment where these things exist. So how would he ever know? what any of this stuff even is or to have any association with that you you have you have stunted this kid's development like as a human fucking being you have stunted this kid's development like this shit should be child abuse but i'm gonna get through the article because i got another one to do too as true believers we thought that we could be transgender or that he could be transgender and that we were to follow his lead to determine his true identity. At the same time that his ideology was shaping my view of my son, I was also taking a very deep dive into attachment and child development. This opened my eyes to understanding the nature of attachment as hierarchical, and the fact that parents, not children, are meant to be in the lead. No fucking shit. That's your job as a parent, is to be in the lead. I began to struggle with the conflict between putting my child in the lead on gender and my deepening, deepening knowledge of my responsibility to lead and orient my child. Sadly, my commitment to ideology had the upper hand. I'm glad she says sadly. That's, that's a good sign for where this is going. At around four years old, my son began to ask me if he was a boy or a girl. And instead of telling him he was a boy, I told him he could choose. I didn't use those words. I thought I could be more sophisticated than that. I told him when babies are born with a penis, they are called boys, and when babies are born with a vagina, they are called girls. But some babies who are born with a penis can be girls, and some babies who are born with a vagina can be boys. It all depends on what you feel deep inside. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's like... She was trying to be sophisticated, but I mean, that they pulled that straight from the bullshit playbook. He continued to ask me what he was, and I continued to repeat these lines. See, that's just shitty parenting again. I resolved my inner conflict by leading my son with this framework. You can be born with a penis, but still be a girl inside. I thought I was doing the right thing for him and for the world. His question and my response to it would come back to haunt me for years and continues to haunt me now. What I know now is that I was leading. I was leading my innocent, sensitive child down a path of lies that were a direct on-ramp to psychological damage and lifelong irreversible medical intervention all in the name of love, acceptance, and liberation. About six months after my son began to ask me if he was a boy or girl, he told my spouse that he was a girl and wanted to be called sister, and she her. I received a text message about this at work. On my way home that night, I resolved that I have to put my own feelings away and support my transgender child, and that is what I did. With this one declaration, after months of refusing to tell our son he was a boy, we changed his entire world. We told him he could be a girl. He jumped up and down on the bed, happy, saying, I'm a girl, I'm a girl. What a relief it must have been to him to actually have an identity to hold on to. Um, she's acknowledging that they've crippled this poor kid from the jump. We, not him, initiated changing his name. We socially transitioned him. We enforced this transition with his younger brother, who was only two years old at the time and could barely pronounce his older brother's real name. 
When I look back at this, it's almost too much to write about. The grief and the shock of what we did is so deep, so wide, so sharp, and so penetrating. How could a mother do this to her child, to her children? I truly believe that what I was doing was pure, right, and good, only to later realize with horror what it could have led to for my child. This horror still shakes me to my core. It will not surprise readers of this site to hear that once we made the decision to socially transition our son, we received resounding praise and affirmation from most of our peers. One of my friends who also socially transitioned her young child assured me that social transition was a healthy, net neutral way of allowing children to explore their gender identity before puberty when decisions would need to be made about puberty blockers and hormones. We sought out support groups for parents of transgender children where we went to find out if we had done the right thing. After all, our son showed no signs of actual gender dysphoria. Was he actually transgender? At these support groups, we were told what good parents we were, how kids on the autism spectrum, which he likely is, simply know they are transgender earlier than other kids. This is another thing that I have a problem with. Like Everybody's on the autism spectrum, spectrum now. Everybody's on the ADHD spectrum. Everybody's on some fucking spectrum. When we were kids, you got your shit together. If you were ADHD, we had two recesses a day so and a long lunch. You had plenty of time to burn off all that energy, plus gym almost daily. You had time to burn off that energy and actually do things. And so instead of kids sitting in class for six, seven hours a day and getting literally a 20-minute recess after their 10-minute lunch, uh, you you had more than enough time to get all of that kid energy burned off. And then you weren't on the ADHD spectrum because you were able to release all that energy and not sit ticking and shaking in class because you're a fucking kid who needs to be allowed to run. Uh, you you know, you're, you weren't on the autism spectrum because you wanted to focus on a certain thing or another thing, or you thought about things differently. You just had a different learning style and you actually had good teachers who learned how to, or who knew how to coach you along and, and help you to learn things. You had parents who were actually involved in your life and, you know, raised you to understand how to deal with things instead of relying on a doctor and the next best medicine to help you be normal or, you know, whatever this bullshit is. So anyway, simply know they're uh, transgender earlier than other kids. At one of the support groups we attended, we were also told that transgender identity takes a few years to develop in children. They told us that during this period, it is very important to protect a child's transgender identify, identity, and therefore you must eliminate contact with any friends or family who do not support this identity or go along with it. Yes, the gender therapist running this parent support group said this, and at the time, I believed her. We're going to get into therapists, because that's another part of the problem. Looking back, I now see this in a shockingly different light. This was an intentional process of concretizing transgender identity in children as young as three years old, the age of the youngest child in this group. When identity is concretized at this young age, children will grow up actually believing they are the opposite sex. How could medicalization not follow? 
See, and this is this is this is like the definition of grooming. You are what these people are doing is they're not creating firm boundaries for their children, allowing them to believe whatever they want to believe, not pushing back with actual real science or reality, um, allowing the mental, basically the mental handicap to be the reality. And then completely isolating them from any opposing thought. It's the reason why you, you've seen, you know, such successful propagandization of an entire mass populace over the last two and a half years, three years going on, because people are only given the one thing to hear. They're isolated from any alternative courses of thought. They're cut off from any information that disagrees with the information that they're being fed, the narrative that they're being fed. And so, you know, as it says, it's it's concretizing that that thing into the brain where that. How could it not follow that that becomes the thing you believe, right? The therapist also employed the same script that many adolescents use on their parents, helping parents of transgender children script letters to grandparents, aunts, and uncles to declare a child's transgender identity and make conditions of engagement clear. You must use the name and pronouns and embrace the new identity, or you will not have contact with the child. After about a year of social transition for our oldest son, our younger son, who was only three years old, began to say he was a girl. This came as a complete shock to us. None of the things that made our older son different were true of the younger son. He was more of a stereotypical boy and did not show the same affinity for feminine things or females that his older brother did. We began to look more deeply at attachment again and realized that this drive for sameness is a primal attachment drive. We felt that this assertion of being a girl was very likely a desire to be like his older brother or sibling in order to feel connected to him. This assertion of being a girl became more insistent when both brothers went to school part-time, where the school program that they were included sharing their pronoun in, where the school program they were in included sharing their pronouns. Why could the older sibling be a she when the younger sibling cannot? Our younger son became more and more insistent, and we became more and more distressed. The ideology was crashing with reality and shaking what it felt like solid ground. If our younger son was driving by attachment to want to be a girl, could our older son also have this part of what drove him? An attachment drive to be the same as me? We made an appointment to see a gender therapist who we had met at the support group in order to discuss our younger son. We truly believed that she would be able to help us sort out whether or not he was actually transgender to pick apart the nuances of what could be going on for him as a younger brother to a transgender older sister and the only he in the family of she's. To our shock, the therapist immediately began to refer to him as she, stating that whatever pronouns a three-year-old wants to use are the pronouns she will, be, she will use to refer to, the, to them. She patronizingly assumed, assured us that it may take us more time to adjust since parents have a hard time with this sort of thing. 
She expressed that it was transphobic to believe there was anything wrong with our younger son wanting to be like his older transgender sibling. When I pushed back and I asserted that I was not yet convinced of our younger son was transgender, she told me that if I did not change his pronouns and honor his identity, he could develop an attachment disorder. We were unconvinced, but again, we wanted to do what was right for our son. I'm, I'm actually going to stop this here and talk about that. See, this is the problem with therapists. I'm going to use this as my soapbox to jump off on. Therapists are not in the business of actually solving the problem. They're in the business of making you happy. And making you happy is not actually what makes you mentally well, right? Uh, pain and um, long-suffering and falling short and having to build up courage and endurance and bravery and going through hard shit. That's what makes a human being. And therapists aren't in the business of going through hard shit. They're in the business of whatever you think, whatever you want to believe, we're going to go with that. How does that make you feel? Because how you feel is more important than the reality around you. How you feel takes precedent over are you mentally and physically well? That's why I, I actually highly suggest anybody who like asks me, because uh, I've, I've seen both therapists and Christian counselors. And anybody who asks, which it doesn't help that I'm uh, a bit of a sociopath. So therapy is highly entertaining, but not incredibly helpful for somebody like me. Uh, my, the brain is just wired. Anyway. Um, but that's kind of like, that's kind of the problem with it is because it's not actually geared towards helping. It's geared towards whatever. It's it's purely reactionary to whatever's being said and trying to make sure that the person who's saying these things is feeling good about it, not feeling like they need to, I don't know, dig down deep and figure out what the fuck is wrong with them and change their lives, uh, which is what good counseling and it doesn't even have to be christian counseling just good counseling but I, I would recommend christian counseling actually does it it takes a look at what's going on why are you feeling these things and how do we how do we fix it because you're not going through this stuff just because you you need to feel good about it instead of feeling bad about it right no you're going through this stuff because something is objectively fucked up with your life and you've strayed from the path of like actual goodness righteousness morality the things that make us fulfilled and whole as human beings and how do we fix that uh, and that that's those are hard questions to ask and those are things that require you know a lot of self-reflection and, and often require a lot of change and also and often require a lot of work and that's not what our society is about. It's not about change and work. It's about how do you feel and how can we make you feel good? Fuck that shit. So anyway, back to the article. We were unconvinced, but again, we wanted to do what was right for our son and for the world. We decided to tell him that he could be a girl. And that night at dinner, we, we told him that we would call him she, her. Right after dinner, I went to play an imaginary game with him. And I wanted to be affirming. I put a big, warm smile on my face and said, hi, my girl. 
And at this, my younger son stopped, looked at me, and said, No, Mama, don't call me that. His reaction was so clear it made me stop. It pierced me to my core, and I did not turn back after that. For the next two years, my partner and I dug deeper, agonizing and continued digging. digging. Everything we thought we knew or believed that had led us to socially transition our older son began to unravel. I continued to study the attachment-based development approach and learn more about autism and hypersensitivity. We decided not to socially transition our younger son. He began to, we began to see clearly that not only our younger son was not transgender, but that our older son was likely not either. We knew we had to do something, but struggled to figure out how. All I wanted was to go back in time to undo what we had done, but I was still not, uh, but I was still bound within the ideology. It's, and I've talked about this, like wokeness and, and a lot of this stuff. It's uh, extreme progressivism. It is a, it is a religion, and those who are devoted to it are m probably more deeply devoted to it than, than even many Christians are to what's supposed to be their religion of Christianity. Like, they are seeing firsthand that this is wrong, but it, it is such a religious devotion to the ideology that they cannot pull away from it. They, they're having, they're still struggling with, even in the face of all the evidence pointing to the contract chariot, they're struggling with changing. On the one hand, I felt clearer and clearer that my older son was not transgender and that we were responsible for leading him down that path by mistake. On the other hand, I worried that if he was actually transgender, I would do great damage to him by reversing the social transition. This period of time was deeply agonizing and was marked by incredible despair. However, my partner and I came to clarity that the deeper truth for our son was that he was not actually a transgender girl, but rather a highly sensitive, likely autistic boy who was born into this world without a skin and for whom the structure of certainty the girl identity provided him was a type of protection or defense. It also provided him with a way of attaching to me through sameness, a primal need for his security in the world. We decided that since we were the ones who led him on this path, we were the ones that needed to lead him off of it. I'm not going into the importance of strong male figures in children's lives, especially in the lives of boys. That's I don't want it to sound like I'm entirely opposed to lesbians having kids. But there's there's a significant degree to which I am opposed to Elizabeth kids, at least in a situation where there is not a strong male presence available for those kids. And by strong male presence, I don't mean a bunch of gay dudes. I mean like a rugged man, like a man, actual manly figure. But that's conversation for another another time. A year ago, just before our son's eighth birthday, we did just that. And while the initial change was hard, incredibly hard, the most immediate and tangible emotion we felt from our son was relief, actual relief. In the days following my first conversation with him about going back to his birth name and pronouns, my conversation about how males cannot be females and that we were wrong to tell him he could choose to be a girl, he was at first very mad at me and then sad. And then the next day, I felt my son rest. I felt him release a burden lay his adult burden down that he as a child was never meant to carry. He felt incredible relief, and he came to rest. Since that time, we've been healing. He has been healing. It was not easy, but my son is happy and thriving. 
We've watched him come to a deeper peace with himself as a boy, and he is blossoming and growing. For now, he is safe, and as each day passes, he grows into himself more. As for our younger son, he is also happy, thriving, and healing. Once his older brother came, became his older brother again, he happily and almost immediately settled into his identity as a boy. A further validation for, of our insight into the primal attachment drives that were underneath his pursuit of sameness for so long. I fear for the future. The future for a sensitive, feminine, socially awkward boy who has spent his early childhood years actually thinking he was a girl. I fear for what our culture, our institutions, his peers, and the internet will tell him. I fear the power of the state that seems hell-bent on destroying the parental child relationship. I love that a uber-progressive lesbian who completely drank the Kool-Aid sees that the state is hell-bent on destroying the parental-child relationship. I love that. Uh, that's a huge white pill. No matter what the future holds, I will never stop fighting to protect my sons. I am no longer a true believer. This experience for me has felt like leaving a cult. A cult that... Lady, you hit the nail on the head with that one. Uh, you were absolutely devoted to a very, very cult-like religion that was that it is completely hell-bent on some pretty heinous shit. This experience for me has felt like leaving a cult. A cult that would have me sacrifice my child to the gods of gender ideology in the name of social justice and collective liberation. I have left this cult and I am never turning back. Once one brick was pulled out of the wall holding up this belief system, the rest of the bricks tumbled. Now I sort through the rubble and I seek to slowly and carefully rebuild. Rebuild my values, my views of reality, my belief system, my relationship to myself and to my children and my understanding of the world. Whatever may emerge, the protection of my children will be the compass for every step on the road of head. And as an end note, she says, I would like to express my sincere gratitude to both the Fourth Wave Now blog and the Gender A, uh, Gender A Wider Lens podcast. I discovered both the night after my partner and I made the decision to change course with our son. They have helped us immensely. Thank you for your courage. Um, I'm not going to pull them up, but I did look at those briefly. Check those out, especially if the reason this is an important topic to talk about is because I know people personally who listen to this show personally who have children in their lives who are nieces or nephews or what have you, for, you know, children of friends that are going through this sort of stuff. Check out some of these resources. The Fourth Wave Now, Gender, A Wider Lens. Um, this article came from uh, Parents with Inconvenient Truths about trans. Uh, there are tons of resources that I highly recommend that you point people to if, if they're if they're trying to go in a certain direction with stuff of trying to be trying to not be controversial, I guess. See, this is the problem that that I see. Is it starts with she she identified it early on or relatively early on in the article about halfway through, and I'm not actually going to go through the 
the second article that I had. I'll save that for either one of the daily shows or, or for something later on, um, because I've already gone a lot longer on this one than I really <laughs> intended to. Um, it starts with the parents. And our job as parents is not to be their friends. Our job as parents is not to be their advocate for every dumbass thing that they want to do. You listening? Yeah, I hear you. Our job as parents is to raise our children to be good, healthy, well-adjusted children. Our job is to lead them into adulthood. And sometimes that means we have to be firm. Sometimes that means we have to set boundaries. Sometimes that means we have to have them throw a fit and tell them they hate us and then tell them that's fine. Suck it up. You can hate me as much as you want. You still have to live under my roof. You still have to abide by my rules and you still have to do this thing called life with me until you're old enough to move out and do it by yourself. And I'd be willing to bet once that time comes, you're going to have a greater appreciation for me. Stepson, for instance, he has a huge appreciation for the things that my wife and I were trying to instill in him before he decided to run off and go do things on his own. And he's taken a lot of valuable lessons from those things as uh, life has kind of kicked him in the teeth a few times. It is not our job to be your friend. It is not our job to be popular or nice. Sometimes loving and caring means being an absolute asshole. And from my own personal experience, sometimes that asshole is what you need in life to help you figure out what you should be doing, how you should be doing it, and the direction that you need to go in your life to be a good adult, to be a good friend, to one day be a good spouse and a good parent yourself. We need objective morality. And it has been severely lost in our current iteration of society. And that's by design, obviously. Yeah. And the only way that we rein that in is by standing up for what is actually right and just and correct. By trusting the science, the actual real science of human beings, understanding that kids are kids and they have nervous energy and they're probably not on the spectrum of any sort of spectrum and shouldn't be put on a million medications and treated like some science experiment. They're fucking seven years old. They should be treated like children and given room to play and to run and to learn and to grow and to stretch their legs and to fuck up and break stuff and We should be there to lead and coach and teach, not to drug and stupefy and enable things that are objectively wrong. 
society needs strong leaders. I mean, looking at our government itself, we are absolutely overrun with piss poor leadership. And it's a top down problem. It trickles down from government at its highest peaks to the business world and corporations to the schools and churches to parenting. We live in a leadership void, and that's the thing that has to be corrected. Have to have people who are willing to stand up and, for lack of a better way of saying it, to be the asshole that will lead on what's right, not on what makes people happy and not on what's easiest. And hopefully everybody who listens to this is one of those types of leaders. Because that's how you change the world, is with people who are willing to lead with strength and with objective morality. That's all I got for today. Be sure to head over to YouTube or Rumble. Check out video if you're into that sort of thing. I mean, I guess if you're watching Spotify or if you're on Spotify, the video is also on Spotify, so you can get it there. Um, don't forget, I do daily content. If you're interested in that sort of thing, I think it's worthwhile. And, and I offer a free month subscription so you can check it out and decide if it's worthwhile. And the subscription is only $5 a month after that anyway. So it's not like I'm asking you for a lot. Um, and and as far as that goes, like $5 isn't a lot, but you know, 20 people signed up at $5. That means that I'm not going out of pocket on the subscription service for the live streams that I do. Um, if 50 people sign up, I'm not coming out of pocket for the subscription service for the live streams or anything else that I do. Like Seriously, 40 people at $5 a month would cover all of my costs for an entire year. Uh, that's just cool, I guess, but, you know, not a lot. Anyway. I appreciate everybody who listens. I appreciate all the feedback. Uh, thank you, Sammy, for reaching out to me. Uh, this has been an incredible topic. Hopefully, everybody who's listening got something out of it. Be sure to check out all of the links to stuff that's included in the show notes for this and share it with people if you know people who are dealing with this sort of stuff. Um, it's time for strong leadership. That's all i got for today. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Be sure to tune in for that. Uh, till then, that's all i got. Thank you. We've got a brand new sponsor for 2023, and I am really excited to partner with Agorist Acres. Now, agoristacres.com, you can find over 100 varieties of seeds. They've got vegetables, flowers, all kinds of stuff. They've got heritage brands, everything that you want to start any kind of garden that you need. It's free shipping on any order of $20 or more. They've got cool packaging, and most of the seeds come in a fancy glass vial, no paper envelopes. They accept U.S. dollars and crypto and can easily take either at checkout. Now, be sure to head over to agoristacres.com and anything that you get, use the promo code FCT at checkout for 10% off your order. I say all the time that you need to be starting your own garden. You need to be growing your own food. You need to be getting off the grid and becoming less dependent on grocery stores and stuff like that. Agorist Acres is a great first start. They've got everything you need for whatever kind of garden you want. Great people, great product. 
highly recommend. So go check them out.